passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, it is another episode of the High Host Podcast. The only Phillies podcast, some say. Uh, as this Phillies team, man, James Seltzer, they lose... They lose 2-3 to the Yanks. They salvaged last night against the Yankees B squad. Um, mostly, it, it was it was a it was a wow. That team is much better than our team. And but still, there was 40 plus thousand in the house for every single game. The juice was back. It felt like Phillies fans by game three were like, all right, we're not going to just let the Yankees take over our ballpark. Like, we're gonna, we're going to fight back a little bit, James. An exciting first couple of days of baseball. I know it wasn't great from the win-loss column, but how did it feel seeing CBP full again? Phillies are back, Jack. Wow. Phillies are back. And also, anytime you got Cy Eflin on the hill, you got a chance to go out and win the game. Let's talk about Zach Eflin because what? I think he's good. And I just think that if you're going to – he's a guy where I think he's consistently hard to square up for however many innings he's out there, especially when he's spotting his fastball to both sides of the plate. And he's legitimately touching 96 now, which I never thought would be possible from Zach Eflin. Um, when he is spotting those, spotting both sides of the plate with his fastball, his slider was, was really sharp last night. Most of the pitching staff has adopted the spiked curveball or spiked slider, um, probably from, from Jake Arrieta, that he's probably taught them that. It, it, it creates much more spin. And it feels like, or it seems like, Eflin may be starting to spike his pitches. That's why his slider seemed to have way more run to it. Um, and his his changeup last night was even really good. He's getting outs with that. He's a legitimate three-pitch pitcher. He is spotting both sides of the plate with his fastball. And I think for however long he's out there, he's hard to square up. Yeah, Jack, I think you hit on it. That spike slider looks more like a curve than a slider. But whatever it is, is becoming a real out pitch for him. I mean, it's a swing and miss pitch, man. And I think the great thing that, that we've seen with Eflin over June, first and foremost, a lot of people have talked about it, but 
he really has been the stopper this month. Every time this team has needed a guy to go out and give them a big outing, what we you know thought and hoped and expected we might get from Jake Arrieta in these types of spots, We've been getting it from Zach Eflin, and not only have the numbers been ridiculous, you know, the, the well below sub who we are in the month of June, the strikeout to walk has been there. But like you said, Jack, he passes the eye test. You know, it's, it's, I always watch Zach Eflin pitch, and whether he's running good or bad, I never felt like he was a good pitcher, like a legitimate major league, I can count on this guy every fifth day. And for the first time ever, this last month, really the majority of this season with Eflin, He's looked different, and part of it's the velocity. Part of it is the movement. Like you said, the spin on that pitch, he just he looks different. He looks like a better pitcher. And, again, you know, the whole, like, caveat consistency and he deceived for a longer period of time. But, uh, man, I'm with you. I'm incredibly bullish about Zach Eflin. He's not going anywhere. He's a fixture of this rotation right now. Yeah, he won five games in June. Zach Eflin won five <laughs> He was a guy. This is the toughest month of baseball. They would play all season long, and Zach Eflin was their MVP. Like, that's crazy. And he's he's been the one that has cleaned up Arietta's messes uh, in during this whole entire run. Like, Arietta's been terrible in June, and right. Zach Eflin's pitched behind him in the rotation and saved his ass. It, it's great. Yes, he has been the stopper. Arietta, every time, I feel like every time Arietta's taken the hill in June, since that first game in San Francisco, and he spouted off, Every single time before he started a game, I said, this is why they brought Arietta here. This team needs a win. This is a big series, whatever. And every time he's come up small, and then the next night out, Eflin goes out and dominates. It's a great point, Jack. He's been what we expected Arietta to be this month. Listen, uh, the baseball gods have not been kind to Jake Arrieta. He he pissed off the baseball gods. You don't throw your teammates yeah. under the bus, especially a rookie. Especially a rookie, yes. Like that's, that's baseball 101. And the baseball gods have have tortured him this month with all the errors. He has the most unearned runs in baseball, um, and it, it's just you, you don't piss off the baseball gods like that, Jake. You should have known that since you're 32 years old. Um, before we just before we move on from Eflin, he has really really changed his mentality on the mound. He's now a he's now like a bulldog. He's aggressive in yeah, the zone. Yeah, buddy. And got some Nick Pavetta in him, Jack. Right. Well, he's he's attacking with his fastball, and that's where I get so frustrated with a guy like Vince Velasquez, where. He has all the he has the, he's the best fastball on the staff, but he tries to nibble with it rather than just going after guys and attacking guys on a night in night out basis. Vince Velasquez can't do that. What has taken Zach Eflin to the next level is the fact that he's aggressive in the zone with that fastball to both sides of the plate. He doesn't care about going inside, doesn't care about pitching the outside corner, doesn't care about going up. He's been pitching up in the zone more and more to try to combat the the launch angle movement. Zach Eflin, I can't I I. I trust Zach Eflin, which is something I never thought I would say. It's crazy, man. I feel the exact same way. And, and I, I was, you know, all up until this past month, I've spent the whole time saying, hey, chill out. Eflin started out last year well, but then he fell off a cliff. I'm not expecting anything out of Zach Eflin. And, and man, he's, he's proved me wrong time and time again. And, and I think the level of competition that he's done it against this past, past month really makes it hard to ignore. It's hard to say. You can't say he's just facing bad teams or bad lineups or whatever. He looks like a different pitcher. And it's it's not one of those things where it's, oh, baseball's weird and you can have a good month or whatever. Again, going back to the eye testing, if you watch this guy pitch every night, every time out, he looks like a different pitcher than he was last year, period. Yeah, and for sure. Um, all right, let's talk about Arietta. We, we, we touched on him in a, a second there. Listen, 
the the fastball velocity is fine. Everything else is terrible. He he's not locating. He doesn't have any confidence in his fastball. It feels like every time he throws a fastball in the zone, it's getting crushed. Like not just a not he's not letting up bleeders out there. Jake Arrieta is getting crushed on his fastball. Which it just doesn't make any sense because it's 94, 93, whatever. But it's moving like a foot, but it must be moving right into these guys' barrels cuz they are just barreling up Jake Arrieta every single time he goes out there this month. Yeah, when when Arietta's on that fastball, that like, like in out movement that it has, where it cuts in against righties, out a little bit against lefties, or the other way around. Excuse me. Um, but it, we haven't seen that at all. It's like you said; it's just there'll be a little late movement on it, but it's not nearly enough to get it out of the zone or to put it over the plate when needed. You're right; he's had no no confidence in it all, and it has been very hard hit. This is not. That's the thing where when Arietta spouted off after the San Francisco game, and he's blaming shifts, and he's saying, I can't believe McCutcheon got a hold of that one. Nice job by him and all that stuff. Uh, look, bro, like, you're getting the ball knocked off you. This is not light hit anymore. This is not, yes, the defense has not backed him up, and like you said, I think there's a little karma there. There's a little, I think there's a lot going on there, but regardless, um, he's getting hit, and he's getting it hard. And again, I I understand, look, I, I don't think he's not trying hard. I don't think he's not, you know, going out there and trying to do his best. But at the same time, it's hard not to get frustrated with him when he does spout off like that. And like you said, he calls out a rookie, calls out management. He calls out the front office. He calls out everybody top to bottom and says, I need accountability. And he's been the worst pick on the staff since then. Uh, so I, like, I know that he's trying, but that, it rubs me the wrong way, Jack. And I don't really know how to kind of, deal with that because I understand that it's not like he's going out there and, and trying to suck, but at the same time, you know, he needs to be better. Yeah. And the accountability thing's funny because he's talking about how everyone's need accountability and all this stuff. And then he goes to Jerry Krasnick and he says, yeah, I can still strike out guys if I want to. Like, what, what, yeah. what are you talking about, Jake? We haven't seen that, buddy. No, no. How about when it's second and third, one out, and your your team makes a uh, an error behind you, you strike a guy out and, and help out your team rather than just yep. letting it compound and compound. I just don't think he's a very confident pitcher right now. And 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 my best example of that was the the at bat against Luis Severino, who has maybe batted four times in his entire big league career, and he throws two curveballs, one that gets past the catcher, allows, allows a runner to get to third base. Like, what what are you throwing a, a guy who never hits a curveball for? Like, it just it doesn't make any sense. It's 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 malpractice from a pitching standpoint. Oh, yeah. I mean, he could have fired three fastballs down the middle of the plate and struck out Severino. Severino wasn't even looking to take the bat off his shoulder at that moment. But, yeah, it's embarrassing. Uh, look, I think you're right. I think the confidence thing is a great point, and – we talk a lot about lack of confidence with younger pitchers, but it, it happens to everybody. It's a human thing, and, and I do agree, especially, look, I think that, you know, whenever you are brought in somewhere as a high-priced guy, that adds another extra level of pressure to what you're doing, and then when you're not performing, I think that could spiral out of control. Here's my question for you, Jack. You're the pitcher. You're the guy who knows, and, and we've heard a lot, and I've spoken a lot about Harriet's second half, and the numbers are stark, and Obviously, in 2015, one of the great second halves of all time, if not the greatest. But he has been someone who, over the course of his career, has gotten stronger as seasons have gone on. Is this just pie-in-the-sky type stuff, or do you 
are there stuff that you can see that you think are correctable and then you can kind of change this and turn this around? Well, I think Ariad has always been a feel pitcher. Like when he feels right, he's great. And and once once his mechanics are perfectly in line, he's great. It's just that his mechanics haven't been in line. Uh, and I wonder if that has to do with him not really uh, participating in spring in spring training. Maybe that has something to do with it. It takes a little bit longer for his body to get in shape. Maybe because he wasn't really throwing that much. Maybe this month has just been uh, his arms a little tired. Uh, his body's a little tired because he didn't get the full ramp up in spring training to to where he can come out feeling strong to start the season. Um, and sure, I think the first couple starts in May were were a lot had to do with being amped up and the adrenaline and now maybe that it's he's a um, two months removed it just maybe he's just getting a little bit tired maybe a little bit worn down um i think he's always been a guy that once once he gets the feel of his mechanics of his pitches then he can go on a nice little run i think cliff lee was kind of the same way you know cliff lee would get hit around a couple starts and then just lock in dial in and be unbelievable I don't know if Arietta can get to the levels that Cliff, Cliff Lee was at, but I, I think Arietta, um, the fact that his fastball is still 94 and it's still moving a lot, and if he can start to locate that, he's a completely different pitcher. I think he can get back to that and be a serviceable guy. Um, I'm not, I'm not like pressing the panic button too hard because I think, you know, for some reason baseball has just become so reactionary, and it, there's no, it's there's, it's a 162 game season, and we act like every yep. single game is is like a playoff game. Um, Arietta will will get a, will have a month where he looks really good again. I fully believe that because he's a field pitcher. He's a he's a guy that relies on having his mechanics precise. Right now, they're just a little bit out of whack. Everything's a little bit out of whack, and I trust him enough to to, to figure it out. Feel exactly the same way as you, Jack. Especially again, I know that past. You know, success isn't necessarily a definitive of future success, but this is a guy who, like you said, he'll get into rhythms. He'll get into feeling that. That's how he had one of the great second halves in the history of baseball. And also, last season, just look back one year, all you have to look at how good he was in the second half. He's a guy who, like you said, he needs to have that feel and be locked in. So I feel the same way. I think that, that we're going to see good Jigarrieta. And look, we've seen, I mean, it, let us not forget that, like you mentioned, for whatever reason was whatever reason, but we've seen him pitch games where we've seen that Pirates game obviously stands out the most, but he's been good this year. It's not like he sucked every start out, and that Pirates game was, you know, a, a, an example of, of borderline speak Jake Arietta. And I think it's going to be hard for him to get to that level a lot. But that guy's still there. We saw it. And it wasn't just the Pirates. It wasn't just the matchup. It was the ball dancing all over the place and just being unhittable and all that. So I'm with you. I think that, you know, especially for a guy like Arietta, who is so intense with keeping himself in shape and working out and all that stuff, I, I agree with you. I think we've got a nice Jake Arietta streak coming up. Um, but for right now, it's, it's certainly been disappointing. Yeah, and we talked about this on the podcast, and I'm sure the High Hopes listeners understand this. If you looked at his FIP during, during that run in May, you knew this regression was going to come. Like he he had a a point eight three. I don't know, Jack. Told me, Howard Eskin told me FIP is a stupid stat. Yeah, yeah, FIP's a, FIP's a <laughs> ridiculous stat that totally doesn't uh, uh, find regression in, in most pitchers. Like I've it's said, an incredibly predictive stat, but who cares about that? Right, it doesn't matter. I've said if you don't know what FIP is, it, it's fine. Just think about FIP. The best way I can explain it. Well, it, real quick, if you don't know, yeah, it's fielding independent pitching. Right, and just the best way to explain it is. You know when a guy like Jake Arrieta is pitching to a 2-5 ERA, but in your heart of hearts, you know he's not actually pitching to a 2-5 ERA? 
that's basically what FIP is. Like his FIP would be around three five, and and yeah. and, and that's well, more of what he's throwing towards. Actually, explain the stat more than just an inherent feeling. It's just the concept is that it's everything a pitcher can control. It takes the defense out of the equation. It's strikeouts. It's walks. It's home runs. It's things where defense does not come into play in trying to figure out a pitcher's real production based just on what he can control. Okay. One question for you, that's, James. That's the theory. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just trying to. Yeah. I was trying to talk in layman's terms. Right, which is good too. Huh. Good too. Question for you: If you need a big win right now, who are you trusting on the mound? Jake Arrieta, Pivetta, or Zach Eflin? Uh, great question. And and I think for me, here's the thing: for for me, there's no question that right now, today, Arrieta's third of that group for me. My question is, is area is Pavetta or Eflin first for me? I would put Pavetta one Eflin two right now, based on the fact I think Pavetta's highest end is just better than Eflin's highest end. We've seen it. I mean, that 13 strikeout gem from a, from a couple starts ago was just, is like imprinted in my mind. And I also, like you said, with Eflin, I think Eflin's starting to become that bulldog. Pavetta's always been that guy. So I I think I think if I had and again it's crazy how is Jake Arrieta not the, the automatic go to answer here um, and look and again I think this answer could change come September if we start to see that Jake Arrieta I could you know lean back on the experience and the big game and all that but right now the way these guys are pitching right now I would put Nick Pavetta in the big game with with Zach Eflin very close as we just talked about Eflin just did that in the month of June so. Um, I think it'd be Pavetta one F one three out of three, which is crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've been talking about wild card game Pavetta. Wild card Pavetta. I will speak it into existence. Um, yeah. But well, it, it is well, the only way it happens is if somehow they need to win the last game of the season and Nola pitches someone. But I think we can all agree that Nola is the wild card game pitcher if if it comes down and they can use anybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, he will. Be. Yeah. He will be. And I. Yeah. I don't want anyone else in that position. So. Exactly. I agree. But and we can all agree. But but I think the fact that Pavetta right now is number two is an absurd notion. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also it's also fun. Uh, the one guy we didn't mention uh, who started on Monday night. Yeah. Against, you, got, you got a take coming here. Is my take just that I'm done with Vince Velasquez? Is that? Yes. I, well, I'm surprised because because I. Like, other than that 10-run outing where he got just select, I've really been impressed with Vinny. I think that, for the most part, I've, I've never felt as confident with Vinny taking the hill as I do now. And granted, I, I feel more confident with Pavetta or Nola or whatever, but I, I feel so much better about Velasquez than I have in a long time. Why are you down with because he doesn't throw strikes. Like he doesn't throw strikes. He nibbles. He he's not. He's just so fidgety out on the mound. I don't trust him in any scenario. His games. The main crux of this is that his games take like four hours because he, he just. He is. He is so brutal to watch. Oh, he's a horrible watch. He works so slow. Uh, I, I I can't stand watching him. I actually was watching the other night on Monday. And I had to take my trash out, and I literally was able to watch a pitch, go upstairs, run some trash to the front door, come back before the next pitch. It was a crazy – I couldn't believe he hadn't run a pitch. Vince Velasquez makes me want to fall asleep. I, it's brutal. I don't like watching him pitch at all. I don't enjoy any time he throws because the game's like – like that's what people are talking about. And literally, watching him on Monday night, I was like, I don't think the pitch clock's that bad of, a, of an idea. Like the 20-second the, the pitch clock – 
Just freaking do it. Only for Vince, Vince Velasquez starts at this point. Like, I just I just can't take it. It takes forever. He just throws easily. Like, just, dude, dude, you have 97 in your back pocket whenever you want it. They can't square it up every time. Look at all these Yankees guys they're bringing out. They're all throwing 97. They're coming right at you. Whereas Vince Velasquez nibbling around, nibbling around. He'll throw, like, a 3-2 curveball. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? He's a, he's a, he's a, he has a pitching IQ of a, of, of, of a 12-year-old. I just I, I can't take it. I don't like I don't trust him at all. I I listen, if if Eikhoff comes back and is is looks fine, I'm putting Vince Velasquez somewhere else. I'm not taking Eflin out of the oh, rotation. Wow. I, See, I I don't he stinks. I don't know what to do there. It's a really interesting thing you bring up because you're obviously you know the three you can't it was originally oh Eflin, Eflin, Eflin. Eflin's not going anywhere. Eflin's the fixture of this rotation, at least for now. Maybe three four bad starts in a row and you you think about something else, but right now Zach Eflin's not going anywhere. Obviously, Pavetta Nola not going anywhere, and whatever Jake Arrieta not going anywhere. So, uh, look, I'm I'm with you in the sense that it comes down to Velasquez and Eikhoff. I, I think that is a fair take. I just don't see how they take Velasquez out of the rotation. He's had one bad start in the past two months, and I know he's he's frustrating to watch. He nibbles. He's pitching six innings max, except for the time he went six and two thirds and almost uh, had a no hitter going or whatever. Fun. But but. Um, I, I just, I think that, I mean, he's like, I get it, and he is frustrating to watch, and, and the six inning max type thing is frustrating, but the results haven't been bad. I mean, he pitched well against the Yankees. It, it was boring, it was too many pitches and all that, but he kept them in the game. You know, the bats could score too rough, they, they tied, you know? So I, I, I feel you, but I look, I don't see Eichhoff, it's not, and I'm, I was a Jared Eichhoff fan. I have been an Eichhoff fan. I, I, Still living off a couple of years ago, and that trick out to walk great. Just really walk. Great. I don't know. I, I understand the the the, the problem because Eikhoff's not somebody who's stick in the bullpen. He doesn't have that type of stuff or arm. But at the same time, would you really rather have Jared Eikhoff pitching than Velasquez right now? Because I wouldn't. Probably not. But yeah. my, my eyes would enjoy it more. It's just like yeah, it's it's true. it's even when he throws even when he's throwing a no hitter he's had two no hitters in the sixth inning this year and it's it's taken four hours to get to the sixth inning it's just like oh my. I, I, look I think that is a really as as someone who watches every game as a really fair take Vincent Velasquez games are brutal to watch like it's like you don't need to step off the mound and like walk around the mound after every freaking pitch what, I, I don't get it what are you doing like I, I'm I'm very with you on this I I, I hate watching him. <laughs> But I also have been much more impressed than I expected to be this at this point in the season with the last couple months of his pitching. And what's interesting is is you look at all these minor league guys that come up and even Sevy a little bit, and they just work at a much quicker pace. And I think that's directly related to the the, the minor league pitch clock. You know, me and me and Joe Giglio were at the Reading game like three weeks ago watching Ranger Suarez, and they they were using the pitch clock or whatever the shot clock. And it was it was twenty seconds, and you better get your signs right with your catcher, or else you're screwed. But the game was moving on, along at a really really good pace. I I used to hate it. I don't think I hate it, and it's only because of Vince Velasquez. So the, he <laughs> has ruined the old time baseball take in me. Yeah, I, I I look, I agree with you, and I'm all for that. There's no reason it, that that Monday game took forever, and then the next two games flew by. I mean, they were quick games because they just kept. Boom, 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 pitch. No one works really quick. I mean, Velasquez is really the only guy on this staff. I mean, Pavetta works pretty quick. Velasquez is the only guy who I feel this way with, but I, I, I support this take. Yeah, and I just I don't support 
replacing Vasquez in the rotation because he's boring to watch. And it's better pitching too. Like if you're if you're working quick and you're confident, like that's just it, it makes your pitches better. It catches the hitters off guard. They're not. Well, that's what I think. That's a great point. It's always like, oh, I'm trying to throw the hitters timing off and stuff. Like this isn't doing that at all. No. And look at Severino. He just can he can go fast, 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 and then throw 100 miles an hour. It's crazy. Although watching watching Severino the other night got me really excited for Sixto Sanchez because I think that Sixto could be Severino. And just to just to watch that guy on on a night in night out basis and just to dream on Sixto being a guy like that, it's it it, it makes it makes it move a little bit. Oh my god! I mean, the, Severino was hitting 98 in the eighth inning or seventh inning or whatever. It yeah. Was. I mean, yeah. yeah. He's built yeah. like a tank too. Uh, he's he's awesome, and I mean, he was, he was one of those guys who last year had the whole like thing, and you know, pitched you know eighty or ninety more innings, hundred more innings than he'd ever pitched, and he's just fine. <laughs> he comes out, he's fine again this year. He's just awesome, just a bulldog. Yeah, he's 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 great. Um, so other takeaways from the Yankees series. Uh, looking for positives mostly. I mean, the first two games were pretty brutal. Last night, it was it was a nice win. Eflin was great. It was, but it was it was it was an impo- it was it was this team has been resilient all year. Whenever they're kind of in a slide or whatever, they find ways to bounce out of it. I thought it was again, like you mentioned, maybe uh, you know Aaron Judge not lining up for regulars out, but they beat the Yankees, and, and they, I thought it was a big win for the sake of the fan base more than anything. Yeah, and it was a nice reward for the fans that came the first two nights and got embarrassed by the Yankees fans. It was nice for them to win last night, and hopefully. With this big series starting this weekend, hopefully we can get similar-ish crowds. I know they won't get 40-some thousand, but if we can get 35, between 30 and 35, I'd be very happy. I mean, it's a big series. It's the biggest series here in a couple years. I know we feel like we said that a thousand times. Well, but No, it is, though. That's the point. It's the biggest series here since 2011. The Phillies have not been this many games over 500 this late in the season since 2011, and they are one game up on the Nationals right now. Jack, it's just, it is. It, and look, you're, you're right. We're going to keep saying that, and I can't wait till it's the first series of September and they're in it. We could say it's the biggest series in two, since 2011, but that's what happens when you haven't been relevant for seven years. Right. You know? Right, right, right. Um, the, the Hoskins thing on, on, on Monday, whatever, like, I don't really care anymore. Like, t- arguing back with the fan, I like that he cares. Like, I like that he's passionate about it, and I like that he was mad at himself in that situation. And listen, as a guy who was volatile on the mound, and when I got off the mound, I probably would have done the same exact thing. So I knew where Reese was coming from, and I like that he owned up to it after the game. That's what your leader does. Um, and I like that. I just like that he cares, and I like that he didn't come through in a big spot, and he was mad about it. Uh, Jack, that was my exact takeaway, too. Look, I, I think he knows you can't yell at him. He knows. As soon as it happens, after the game, he didn't even give reporters a chance to get on him. He's like, my bad. I was wrong. I can't ever do that. And I love that. But like you said, even more, even more than him knowing he shouldn't have done it, the way he responded, I love the fact that he did it. I love the fact that he was fired up that much after just a, a, a stupid play by him. And even then, I think he was more mad that he didn't hit the ball more so than than that he didn't run to first base. But regardless, I was happy he was pissed there. And I think it's been fun this year because Reeves, the way he goes about his business is so mechanical, so robotic, so, um, you know, he knows it's so precise the way he does everything that he does. But we've seen as we start to get to see him play more games and playing games that matter and whatnot, he has that edge. We saw it in uh, the Washington game that they ended up losing, but where he had that double to tie it. I mean, he was 
fired up at second base there. And I love that. That's what I want to see from the leader of my team, from, from the guy who's going to be the best hitter on this team until they sign Bryce Harper and each other or whatever. But, you know, the guy who's that centerpiece of, of the guys coming up now, that's the exact type of attitude and fire I want to see. Agreed. Uh, other thing, Hector Neris came back up. He looked pretty good. He was. He, he was, looked really good. Spotting both sides of the plate with his fastball. Looked like he was being more aggressive. And the splitter was falling off the table again. If they can get him going, especially with Edebry hitting the DL, uh, Luis Garcia, who they think is going to be back soon, but he's in the DL, Pat Neshek working his way back. They need to find another arm they, they can trust. And hopefully Hector, because Hector, two years ago when he was a setup guy, Hector was really good. He's a really valuable he pitcher. Was the, he was the best pitcher on their team that year. Yeah, and, and if he if they can get him going a little bit here, uh, it just it just it helps them so much weather the storm until Nishek's back. It's Jack. It's such a great point, and I think that people got so frustrated with Naris, and rightfully so. We were as well. Yeah, yeah, Some yeah of definitely. The ways they lost games, and of course that you know four run outburst with making a blowout a close game in his last before he went down. I think a lot of people just were out on him, and also kind of forgot how good he used to be. Because he was really good when he was the seventh eighth inning guy there. Even when he first was closing, it's not, he was their closer last year, and he had some bad spots. On the whole, his numbers were significantly better than they've been so far this season. So he's a good pitcher. And we talked a lot about how we thought it had a lot to do with the confidence. And he's not a ninth inning guy and all those types of things. And I think that that's what it was. I think the pitcher, the talent is still there. That's kind of something we've talked a lot about with this bullpen is that, you know, a lot of it is that the, there, there is a lot more talent than has shown over the last couple months. And I think there's a perfect example of that. And, and you just hope that getting sent down, getting the pressure of being the closer off of him, coming back, working in the seventh inning, maybe the eighth inning, eventually the sixth inning, whatever he's needed, taking that pressure off and just letting him pitch. And do what he does. I'm I, look. I'm with you. I think I think it's going to be a long time before Phillies fans feel good when Hector Neris comes into a game again. But I, I think it's certainly possible that he could become a valuable reliever for this team down the road. Yes, and they need him to be if they want to take the next level. Um, Agree. And there is there has been some more uh, speculation. I saw that the the that Michael Franco, the the Padres, are interested in him somehow. Ooh. Uh, Love it. They so, took Freddie off our hands. Now they're going to take my cow. Let's uh, do this. Listen, if Franco headlines a deal for Brad Hand, I mean, are we sure A.J. Preller is good at his job? No. Then we know that he's not. Yeah. I think it's the takeaway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Remember I, the, the couple summers ago that A.J. Preller is a ninja take? Yes. Yes, Where's I the, did. Where did those go? I, I miss them. Um, but I, yeah. I have become, since our last podcast, more and more in the camp of Go get a controllable reliever, whether it's him, whether it's Rossiel Iglesias, Trinan to an extent. But one of those two, I'm, I'm fully in on them giving up legitimate assets to go get one of those guys because I just think if you're looking at this team next year, there's not really a closer in-house unless you put Sir Anthony in that role. If you go get a Brad Hand, you go get a Rossiel Iglesias, it lets Sir Anthony be your fireman. It lets Brad Hand or, or Rossiel be your closer and shut things down in the, in the, in the ninth inning. And it kind of just lets everyone fall into place and gives you a chance this year. I mean, how much better would you like? I think, I think part of the reason that Phillies fans haven't been coming to the ballparks in droves or 
aren't fully bought in on this team being a legitimate wild card contending team is the fact that once the bullpen enters the game, every single take is, well, here comes the blown game. They're going to lose it. How are they going to blow this one? That's every single time they come into the game. I would just feel so much better about this team if they had a legitimate guy at the, at the end of a game and they can just float Sir Anthony all around. And I've become more and more in on, on going and trying to get a controllable guy. Yeah, I've I've been on in on that from the jump for the most part. And again, it's it's all dependent upon the assets you have to give up and weigh in the future versus now. But the thing about getting a guy who's controllable, like you said, Jack, it really is something that can help this team now and moving into when they're really, really contending and trying to win the World Series. Not that they're not trying this year, but we all know that this you know, the success this year is, is great, but it wasn't what was intended. And I think that getting a guy like that, especially I think hand works for a lot of reasons. First and foremost, obviously he's a guy who can close, but he's also a guy who you don't have to have conventional roles with. And he can, uh, is, as a left-hander, is actually someone who gives you something you don't have right now, a.k.a. a left-hander you can trust in the bullpen. So I think he's certainly there. Um, I see his fan as well. Uh, he is just, he is terrific to watch. He is a lot of fun to watch, and he is locked down at the end of games. I think he's a more... If you're looking at a more conventional closer, I think Iglesias is that guy. I think if you want a guy who you can kind of mix and match, and, and look, the Padres have done that a bit this year. I think Kirby Yates has three or four saves. They've done that, where they'll bring Brad Hand in in the eighth inning if, it, if it's lefty-heavy matchups or whatever. And I love that aspect, especially for Kapler, especially for the way they're running this team. I think Brad Hand makes so much sense because you can mix and match with him and Dominguez, and then you have two elite firemen type of guys who are both willing to work in different roles and then you can really play the matchups with two guys who are you know top of the line relievers so i love the hand idea and again iglesias i love the idea of iglesias just because i do think that if you get iglesias then that really does just free you up to put sir anthony in that fireman role and just whether you need him in there and iglesias has a ninth on lock so i think both of those those are my two favorite names for the control guys out there obviously there are other guys, Zach Britton, not controllable free agent at the end of the year, but a name that has been he hasn't very good since returning. But there, there are guys out there. There's a fair amount of guys out there. And look, even a step down, if you're not looking for a closer, per se, there are still some arms out there that you could get. I mean, half the Mets bullpen is, is really good. And I'm sure you can get anyone in the Mets. Uh, Mets probably willing to trade anything they can. A guy like Anthony Torzak or a Robert Gazelman or anything like that. I think there are ways that they can do this without having to give up uh, real assets, but at the same time, I think, like you said, for me at least, again, depending on the package, but if they can get by not giving up their high-end assets and coming back with a guy like Iglesias or a guy like Han, for me, that's my best-case scenario. Yeah, I just have no interest in, in rentals at this point. I don't want... Agree. Because, I, listen, I think this this season's been great, but this team's not winning the World Series this year. And I don't... I, I think agree. I think putting together packages for rentals... It's just a mistake and short-sighted for a team that's never that since Clentac's been here has never been short-sighted. And doing a doing a trade for Zach Britton, like yeah, it helps, but like it, it, it this season doesn't really matter. It's it's about three to four years from now. And if you have a guy like Iglesias, a guy like Hand, uh, you you trade prospects for them, and then this offseason you go get Machado and Harper. It kind of just takes one of your holes away. And I don't know, like Beltre, I think would be cool. And like, depending Beltre, on- I was going to say, I was, like, I think Beltre is kind of a different type of rental in the sense that he's not going to cost that much at all. I think at this point with his age and yes. in a contract year and 
Beltre's going nowhere. So I think Beltre's interesting, especially because Beltre would bring a little more to a team that is trying to get those reps. And I think that there is value in playing meaningful September games and getting playoff reps. I think all that matters. But I agree with you that on the whole, as a basic premise, I'm not giving up a single thing that I think can help me win in 2019 or beyond in order to help me win this year. Agreed. And, and Beltre could kind of be like your Tome, like a, like, a, yep. like a Hall of Famer. Obviously, it wouldn't be the same kind of length, but um, just the, the legitimacy. And you know what? If you bring in Beltre and he wants to play again next year and you miss out on Machado and you miss out on Harper, he's a pretty totally. nice fallback option on like a two-year, totally. $20 million deal. 100% agree with that, Jack. Okay. Uh, so this weekend, the Nationals coming to town. Um, Aaron Nola going against Tanner Roark tonight, which is, I mean, it's always a great Nola night, and you will be in the house for that one. I will be in the house tonight, Jack. So I'll get Excited. this out. Midday show, listeners, everything is going to be fun. I will get this out before the game so that if the, the listeners want to meet up, they can come and oh, find please. you. please. Hit me up. At James Seltzer on Twitter. Nice. Please. Uh, Saturday, you have Nick Pavetta versus Eric Fetty. Uh, I'm going to throw out this take right now. I would trade legitimate prospects to try to get Eric Fetty. I think Eric Fetty is going to be really, really good. I think he's, wow. Like, I know he's not. I know his. I know his numbers aren't good, but I think that guy's going to be something. I I like him a lot. I don't think he's good right now, but I think he's so young to where you know. Obviously, he doesn't have to be amazing right away. But down the road, I'm a big Eric Fetty guy. Yeah, I, I look. He impressed me um, last weekend when they faced him. He looked a lot better than I thought he was. That was the first time I had seen him pitch. As you know, which is surprising because, as you know, Jack, I watch random baseball all the time. I'll be watching a Brewers-Rockies game and text you about it. But um, I hadn't seen Fetty pitch until that game, and I, I was really impressed with him as well. So uh, I, I don't know enough about him. The minor league numbers look really good. So uh, I could totally see that being an interesting name but at the same time. Um, I'm sure Washington probably wants to keep him around. Right. I'm just talking about high on him as you are. Maybe we could trade Jonathan Papelbon for him. Maybe that would uh, Ooh, work out again. We've had good success <laughs> trading Jonathan Papelbon to the Nationals. Uh, Saturday, thank God I'm not working this game from the station because we have Vince Velasquez on the mound uh, uh, versus no. to be announced from the Nationals. I don't think to be announced is very good. Well, I, I, I'm pretty sure it looks like it's going to be our old friend, Mr. Jeremy Hellickson. Oh, yes. Yes, who I can't believe, like, Jeremy Hellickson would fool me for about a month and a half to where I'm like, this guy might be good, and then he'd start yep. blowing up. I hope that his first blow-up is on Saturday, because he's had... Well, well, that's man. He won the Rookie of the Year doing that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not very good, but he's been good, he's been good this year. He's coming back from injury, um, but hopefully the Phillies can knock him around the park a little bit, and then Sunday... Geo versus Jake Arrieta. Geo got destroyed against the the, the Devil Rays. Yeah, um, six six and runs in an inning of work. It was not good. It was uh, it was great as a Phillies fan. It was not great for my fantasy. Yeah, I can tell you that much. It's a big weekend, and the Nationals are coming down. We're we're a half game up on them. Listen, I I just hope after we saw the the juice back in the ballpark, I hope that there's that there's like thirty five like thirty five thousand. Like that's all I'm asking for. Go down to the ballpark um, and, and and watch this team. We got we missed Scherzer again, which is unbelievable. It's huge. Oh, I heard someone call in. Uh, it was uh, your buddy, your buddy, your boy, Joe Giglio, in for Marks, but uh, calling to Marks and Reese and say, I heard uh, someone or John Krupp. He was like, I heard John Krupp saying that he was. 
he was the Phillies were getting lucky. It was a good thing they were mixed, missing Max Scherzer. If it were the Yankees, they want Max Scherzer. You got to beat the best to be the best and do this whole thing. I'm like, what, the, what are you talking about? I, I hope that we miss Max Scherzer all 19 times we play the Nationals this year. Uh, yeah, same. And they should have beat him earlier this year. That game was frustrating. Uh, a Hector Neris so special. That was, uh, for me, of all the Hector Neris frustrating games, there have been a lot this year. That was my most frustrated. I know there have been worse. I'm sure other people will feel there was worse. But that game, fighting back against Scherzer, maybe the last good game Jake Arrieta had, by the way. Um, uh, fighting back against Scherzer, and for him to walk in that run and Wilmer. I don't even know how that guy is, and he's getting game on the hits. I was not a fan of that. Not at all. Um, okay. Also, yesterday, Jason Worth retired, and yeah. I've long been on the the train of booing Jason Worth is stupid. He's better than pa- he's better than Pat Burrell. He's a legend in this town. Is that even a question? Like, do people actually think Pat Burrell was a better player? Than Jason yeah, Worth? yeah. I don't think they do. Idiot baseball fans who are like, "Whoa, bat the bat, um, Burrell's girls," all those people. Um, Jason Worth, I I really hope that one day they put him in the Phillies Wall of Fame. And I think I think it would be malpractice not to put Jason Worth in the Phillies Wall of Fame. He batted 444 in the 2008 World Series. He was always great in the postseason, got big hits after big hits, um, and played a great right field. Jason Worth uh, retired yesterday, a great Philly, and I hope that at the, at the 10-year reunion he gets cheered for what he did here. I think, how about this? I'll take it a step further. I think it would be outrageous. I think I don't like you as a Phillies fan if you're going to boo Jason, Jason Worth in that spot. Let it go. The man left to get $126 million from the Washington Nationals, okay? The Phillies weren't even in the atmosphere with that type of offer. What do you want the guy to do? If someone offers you $126 million and it's Forty or fifty million more than your current employer is offering you, you're going to stay there. Stop it. Uh, the man did what he had to do. He was a great Philly. He is a major, as you mentioned, Jackie, big reason why all of us actually got to wa- watch and uh, you know enjoy a World Series championship. The only one in my lifetime, the only one in your lifetime. Enough, enough. He's paid his dues. We've done enough. Jason worth hating. I get the concept of him a national, and I'm not going to root for him, and I might boo him or whatever. It's over. He's retired. Please, I'm with you, Jake. Like a PSA, please, I implore you people, appreciate what this guy did in this city. Forget the fact that he took money and maybe everyone's like, oh, he's sick. It's like, whatever, man. He helped win us a World Series. He was never a dick to me. He'd do anything to you. He'd call you up and call you a jerk or whatever. No. He just, whatever. Get over it. The dude went for way more money. You can't blame him for that. And he was major reason they won the World Series, so get over it. And the Phillies lied to him, and said they didn't have any money for him, and then went and signed Cliff Lee. So That's true, too. I think I'd be pretty pissed off at my former employer as well if they lied Dad, to me. You never say anything about the fans, alright? He was ripping the Phillies, so let, come on. Yeah, it's it's embarrassing. Alright, um, any final thoughts, James, before we uh, get on out of here? No, uh, just uh, rate and review the podcast. Please, please, please. It helps Phillies podcast. They type in Phillies, all that good stuff. And more importantly, it makes my buddy Jack happy. And I love Jack, so I want him to be happy. So be for Jack. And again, like he said, uh, he's getting this up now. I'm heading down to the game uh, tonight. A little Aaron Nola day, a little Aaron Nola night. It's going to be fun, so please hit me up. 
And my final thought is stop playing Nick Williams. Stop playing him every single night. <laughs> I forgot. We didn't argue about this. Like, it is, it, it is so annoying that they keep playing him every night. Aaron Altair, the upside of Aaron Altair, what he brings to this team, you have to get him going. It is more important to get him going than playing Nick Williams every single night because Aaron Altair, at his best, is Jason Worth light. He batted 276 last year with a 340-something OBP with 19 homers. Like, that is not a bad player. That is a valuable player. He plays a great right field. I think I think they have to start playing him more and more. Nick Williams is not the answer. And, in fact, I would put Nick Williams in any trade offer that is brought to me to get him out of town. Man, you hate Nick Williams. And, I, look, I, so right now I think Nick Williams is a place that's much better. That doesn't matter. I'm talking but about I, the, the, the upside I of this it. team. I'm with you. I, look, I like – if you ask me – who do I like more as a player long term? I would still say Aaron Altair. So I'm with you. I think the upside of Altair is worth it. But at the same time, I look, I get the concept. You want to get guys out there. You want to get reps. You want to have them develop. But at the same time, this team's trying to win. They're trying to make the playoffs. And Aaron Altair has been really bad, Jack. He's been so bad. He's he smoked two balls something. last night. He smoked two balls last night. And then he take- did. I know. But, you know, and look, he's been huge in clutch spots. I, look, again, I'm an Aaron Altair fan over Nick Williams. But right now, I think you have to at least have a platoon or something. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't hate it the same way you do because Williams has been better. I, it's, it's, it's all smoke and mirrors. I'm not an overreactive baseball fan. Everyone's like, oh, Aaron Altair can't even hit. Like, the guy's been good for two years now. Just, just – I want to see him get a shot every day, and the upside of this team just gets so much better. Well, I think the problem is is that he was good, then he sucked, and the injuries had to do it, then he was good again. So he is not put together back-to-back good years yet, and I think that's part of it, too. Yeah, well, just give him, give him a shot. He'll be fine. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the High Hopes Podcast. We will be back on Sunday night uh, after, hopefully, three or four. Give me three or four with 35,000-plus in, in, in attendance. Sound fair? Just give us no rain delays on Sunday night, so I'm not so angry and stuff when we talk. Is it on Sunday oh, night? Oh, it's not even a Sunday night game. So, yeah, you know what? Perfect. Never mind. Yeah, relax. I even said that. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll talk to you on Sunday. Hey, Flyers fans. It's Al Morgani here. I want to tell you about my new Flyers podcast, South Philly Sauce, along with Ashlyn Sullivan. We break down the ins and outs of the team while also bringing you the best interviews with players, coaches, and media members. You can hear the new episode every week, twice a week, on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.